Thank you, Brother Ruben. Wonderful music. Thank you. We are blessed and we want others to receive the same blessing. And God promises that if we add, He will multiply. Well, that's all He asks of us, to add to what He has given us and He will multiply that. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that we have come to another week, safely through another week. Countless people didn't make it to this point, but we're still around. And so there is a purpose. God is a purpose. And we want to know what that purpose is. And as we study this word, I know you will reveal that to us individually. What you want us to accomplish before all is said and done. That it may all redound to your glory and to our salvation. Bless us today. Bless us at this moment. Speak to us clearly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are coming down to this topic where we have to understand that the enemy of souls, his name is Satan, the adversary of Christ and of his people, the prince of this world, the father of lies and the murderer from the beginning. He was not always that way. He was once Lucifer, and he no longer is. He is the father of lies. He is the chief demon and devil. He is the enemy that we need to be aware of. And in order to know him and how he works, is even 50% of the battle won against him. And we should understand how he works against our heart, our mind, our conscience, and how he manipulates our consent and makes us to yield. And that is part of our study today. And I'd like you to turn your Bibles as we consider what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 1. Verily I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, that same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth by the door of the shepherd is of the sheep, to him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and he lead them, them out. And when he putteth forth his, putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice, and a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And this is, I am the door of the sheep. In this passage, we read that there are two actions and reactions to those two kinds of shepherds. One is they follow him. And those who follow the true shepherd will flee. So you don't have somebody sitting on the fence here. It's either you follow the true shepherd or you flee away from him. And that's why we need to retain the understanding and wisdom of God so that we know who to flee away from and who to flee to as the true shepherd. And that means our consent. It means we have to yield. 
to know, to feel together, to, to walk together with him, with the shepherd, is safety. The true sheep follow him, and he delivers them from the dangers that are out there, from especially from the wolves in sheep's clothing. So we are on the topic of Satan and our consent. How does that work? And now we see so successful. Before we get there, I'd like to read another verse. And this is the bride speaking this, the bride and the spirit, as we saw in Revelation. And it's addressed to the church in Laodicea, or the last day Christians. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. We read here, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and what's the key word? Repent. That's the message. The message of Noah, the message of Elijah, the message of John the Baptist, the message of God's last messengers today is repent. But in connection with that is connected with our topic now on the willing consent of the governed. And it's never changed. He says, Behold, I stand at the door. He doesn't barge in. He doesn't come in through surreptitiously. But he stands at the door courteously, politely. And he's knocking. And he says, If any man will hear my voice and open that door, only then will I come in to him and sup with him, and he with me. You see where Amos 3 verse 3 comes in here? Can two walk together except they be agreed? It says, I will stand at the door. I am the door, I am the door porter, and I am the door. And I am knocking on that door and knocking on your heart. And if any man will hear my voice and open the door. You just don't hear you react and act on that what you hear. You open that door, and when you open that door, then I will come in to him. And I love this scene. It's beautiful. I will sit down and sup with him or eat with him, and he with me, intimate. I will not only walk with him, I will eat with him. I will stay with him. I will abide with him. That's the relationship we want, right? But then it says, I stand at the door and am knocking. If you look at this verse, you will wonder, why is he knocking on the door when in fact he should be inside the house? So he's on the outside. He's still knocking. He wants to come in. Will you let him in? Because if we do not let him, whom Jesus identified himself, I, he says, I am the true shepherd. There is another shepherd who is trying to get through that door. And not only through that one door, through another way. Because he says there, he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd, but he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up a separate and different, some other way, is not me. He is, in fact, a thief and a robber. You see, Satan cannot enter the mind with our, without our consent. 
And we covered this previous where we asked the question, um, and we should ask this question. Well, how does it, what does it mean to voluntarily open the door of our hearts and actually in so doing, we invite Satan in instead of Christ because there's only one throne that can be occupied in the heart. It's either Satan sitting there in authority and controlling or Christ. It cannot be both. Never was, never will. They are at enmity towards the, since the beginning in heaven, down to this earth, until the conclusion of the whole matter. Let, let's remember a couple of things. One difference. There is a capital. We talk about the capital of the city. There's a capital of a person's heart and soul. We will look at this carefully because you keep this in mind as we discuss this. Um, and here's the warning that we I found in Medical Ministry, page 143. Do not see how close you can walk. See, remember? Amos 3, verse 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? The word walk. Oh, embraces a whole latitude of meaning. In general, it means the conduct of life and the character, okay? So, do not see how you can walk upon the brink of a precipice. You know what I'm saying here? Brink, where you're going to fall over. Do not see how close you can walk upon the brink of a precipice and still be safe. Avoid the first approach to danger. Isn't that practical sense? Common sense. But many people don't have common sense, you know. The soul's interest cannot be trifled with. And then I put this phrase in bold. Your capital is your character. Your capital and mine is our character. Therefore, cherish it as you would a golden treasure. What does this mean? Moral purity, self-respect, a strong power of resistance must be firmly and constantly cherished. You hear the song, Cherish? None of these are mentioned in that song. Everything is sensual. It's either upon a man or a woman. But this is what we should cherish, knowing first and foremost that our capital is our character, and therefore we should cherish that as a golden treasure. And what are they? Moral purity, self-respect, a strong power of resistance must be firmly and constantly cherished. There should there should not be one departure from reserve, one act of familiarity, one indiscretion, because they may jeopardize the soul in opening the door to temptation. And the power of resistance is weakened. Now, I remember studying this topic of resistance. Uh, which says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So resistance alone is almost like the victory in itself. 
when you resist the devil. And God gives us the power to resist the devil. But if we don't resist the devil, it is opening the door to his temptation and yielding to the temptation brings him into our hearts and controls us. So Satan cannot control us without our consent. Neither does God control us without our consent. It is upon us. So it is in this sense and only at this instance that we determine our salvation. Only in this instance and in this sense. Okay, Because it's a cooperative effort. Either with Satan or with God. But Satan employs different means. God has only one means. It's only the compulsion of love. In the book Great Controversy 510, you will, you will read this, and I'll share it with you. While Satan is constantly seeking to blind their minds to the fact, and what is that? Let Christians never forget, which we just studied earlier, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against wicked spirits in high places. Ephesians 6.12 This inspired warning is sounding down the centuries to our very time right now. It says there, be sober and be vigilant. Why? Because as a roaring lion, the devil walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5.8 And therefore, what should we do? Watch. See what happens? It says, be sober, be vigilant, and put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand and stand against the wiles of the devil. Ephesians 6 verse 11. So this thing about Satan having control over us is only because we give him our consent. We allow him to. We not only allow him, we in fact open the door to him. So we should know the wiles of the devil so that we know how to resist him. And in fact, we are, once we see it, we should avoid it like the plague, not engage in, 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 in brinkmanship and see how close to the precipice can we walk and still be safe. That's the downfall of many. You see, the true enemy that we have is as our adversary. Now, when you look at the news cycle today, <laughs> since the beginning, there's always an enemy of the nation. It's been either uh, the New World Order, I remember that back in 2000, it, now it's China, and then it's Russia, it, it's Vladimir Putin, it's North Korea, and some people say it's Bill Gates, and all this QAnon foolishness. It's the devil. So once you get carried away with these conspiracies, you have lost the battle against Satan because he has stolen a march upon you. Remember, this journey is a battle and a march. And you don't want Satan an inch. Because you offer him an inch, he will take a whole mile of you. That's how he works, by the way. From the days of Adam to our very own time, our great enemy has been exercising his power to oppress and destroy and he is now preparing his last campaign against the church, not against the world, not against the nation, 
but against the church. And when it says the church there, it's the people who love God and keep his commandments. So you see this satanic campaign is multifaceted. It is multi-pronged. But all are comprehended and included in the threefold powers of the final global world confederacy that is prophesied in Revelation 13, 14, and 17, and 18, which we will be covering in, in, in the following, uh, following weeks. And remember what they are, all right? It's called Romanism, apostate Protestantism, and spiritualism. If we keep that in mind, we wouldn't be deceived by the wiles of the devil. Keep our eyes on the road, the prophetic road. And continuing from the great controversy there, all who seek to follow Jesus, and Jesus warned his disciples, Matthew chapter 10, all who seek to follow Jesus will be brought into conflict with this relentless foe. And the more nearly the Christian imitates the divine pattern. I don't want to discourage you. God wants you to be encouraged by this. The more nearly the Christian imitates the divine pattern, the more surely will he make himself a mark for the attacks of Satan. Does that sound familiar to some of you who are working on the strangers' messages? It should. Because that's a given. It comes with the territory. It comes with the calling. But with it comes the power of God in Christ through the Holy Spirit and by the ministry of his angels. And by your willing consent, that power becomes omnipotent. When unity of divinity and humanity takes place, the weakness of humanity becomes the strength of divinity. Christ becomes the strength. The more nearly a Christian imitates the divine pattern, the more surely will he make himself a mark for the attacks of Satan. All who are actively engaged in the cause of God, seeking to unveil the deceptions of the evil one and present Christ before the people, will be able to join with the testimony of Apostle Paul in which he speaks of serving the Lord with all humility of the mind and with many tears and temptations. That is Paul's testimony. Satan assailed Christ with his fiercest and most subtle temptations, but he was repulsed with every conflict. Those battles that Jesus fought were fought in our behalf because he is both our Savior and our example and our shepherd, by the way. Those victories then make it possible for us to conquer and to overcome even as he overcame. For Christ will give the strength to those who seek for it. The invitation has been given. The spirit and the bride say come, but you need to seek for it. You need to ask for it. You need to knock for it. 
And here's the assurance that we have, and I hope you and I remember this, when you hear all these false teachings and false acclaims uh, trying to get out and go scot-free of a crime committed in the name of passion, they say, well, the demons got into me and voices in my head said, do this, do that. You invited them in. God never does that. No man without his consent can be overcome by Satan. The tempter has no power to control the will or force the soul to sin. He may distress, but he cannot contaminate. He can cause agony, but not defilement. The fact that Christ has conquered should inspire his followers with the courage to fight manfully the battle against sin and Satan. That's the true battle that we must fight, not against flesh and blood. You know, here's a quote that I'm going to share with you. It was addressed to a certain man, but applies to all of us here today who have the same spiritual problems. The one word that describes the special, final, merciful warning messages given by God's special messenger prophet at each generational, I would call that inflection moment of each generation from Noah, Elijah, John the Baptist, the spirit prophecy in the third angel's message is one word. What is it? I'll tell you what it is. Repent. That is a call for repentance. That is part of the reformation. Many people will engage in revival, but it's not followed up with reformation. They are two different works, but they must be blended. They are joined at the hip, as it were. And as the Bible principle says, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. In 2 Testimonies 2.94.5, God calls now upon you, whoever you are, whoever I am, to repent. Can you reject that invitation of mercy issued by the Spirit and the Bride? They say, come. That mercy that is now being offered, can you choose your own way? That's what we've been doing. That's the way of Cain. That's what you call the Cain day and the Cain way. I choose my own way to worship God. That's what's happening since then. And look at the consequences. Can you choose your own way? Will you cherish pride and vanity and lose your soul at last? The Word of God plainly tells us that few will be saved. Is that comforting? You know, when I think of spiritual matters, I think that's comforting. Because if you join the few, you are with the majority that will be saved, isn't it? Few will be saved and that the greater number of those even who are called, the man, many called, but few are chosen. They few choose to follow Christ all the way. They will prove themselves unworthy of everlasting life you know when I'm, I'm going through this over and over again it just it makes me wonder when you read about uh, very popular people well-known rich famous and you know the lives that they live the life that they live is not even a secret it's open they put it out in the open and you know that it's against God's word 
And then when they die, they say, well, he's just going, he went to heaven. I said, we're in, <laughs> please don't do that for your own sake. If you, especially if you claim to be a Bible reading Christian, you have not been reading the Bible correctly. There are only two truths out there, the counterfeit truth and the real truth. There are always only two things out there, the straight and narrow or the broadway, the savior or the destroyer. They will have no part in heaven, but they will have their portion with Satan and experience the second death. Well, when you say that when a person dies, regardless of how he died, he goes to heaven, where's the second death? It's right there in Revelation. And to say that that happens means say you're rejecting the very last book of the Bible to which it says that is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I need to study the book of Revelation very clearly. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ and you're rejecting that revelation. You have rejected the revelator, not John, Christ. Men and women may escape this doom. That's the second death. After which takes place after the millennium, if they will. You see now how important it is to understand the consent of the governed. There's no such thing as predestination. It is true that Satan is the great originator of sin. And you should read that in Revelation 12, 3 and 4, Genesis 3, John 8, 4, 4. It's all over there. He's the originator, he's the father. Yet, by claiming this, this does not excuse any man from sinning. Oh, how I've encountered this many, many times where I'm talking about the power to overcome. I say, you can't stop overcoming. You're a sinner. I says, who told you we're not sinners? Our nature is sinners. But having the sinful nature is not committing sin. Sin is an act. It's a choice. It's a decision. We need to learn these basic facts. Otherwise, the plan of redemption, the gospel doesn't mean a thing to us. Okay. He tempts us to to do it and then he makes sin look enticing and pleasant but he has to leave it to their own will whether they will do it or not you can't get beyond that he will make it as enticing as possible and you know what i'm talking about but he still will leave it to the door of your choice and your decision that's why it's important to understand this door on which christ has been knocking Satan does not force man to become intoxicated. Neither does he force them to remain away from religious meetings or situations like this where we're talking exactly of the very thing, whether in-house or remote or via Zoom, whatever it is. But he presents temptations in a manner to allure evil, and man is a free moral agent to either refuse or accept. Keep that in mind. You see, from the beginning to the end, Satan uses subtlety. That's the first description, subtle, crafty. He uses fraud, he uses guile, he uses lies, he uses deception, strategy, bribery, flattery, and when all of this fails, he's not done. He resorts to coercion, brute force, cruelty, persecution. Continuing this as we wind this down, genuine conversion. Talk about that. That's part of repentance. 
is a work that most do not appreciate. Because it is not a small matter to transform the earthly, sensual, fleshly, sin-loving mind. It's no small work. And bring it to understand the unspeakable love of Christ. You've been talking about love. Make sure you understand what the love of Christ is. First chapter of Hebrews introduces God calling his own son as God and describes him as he who loves righteousness and hates iniquity. Don't ever talk of Christ as the God of love, as Jesus is love, but you better add quickly, he hates iniquity. He loves the sinner, that's why he died to save the sinner. But he hates sin because it's sin that separated the creature from the creator. Well, we, once we understand the true love of Christ, we will understand the charms of his grace and the excellency of God so that then that soul will be imbued with divine love and then, here it is, friends, captivated with the heavenly mysteries. All right? It's also called the deep things of God that can only be spiritually discerned. Paul describes that. And what are they? I'll tell you, give a quick rundown on what these deep mysteries of God, heavenly mysteries. It's the plan of redemption, the sanctuary that explains that, the sanctuary doctrine, uh, the 2300 days in connection with that prophecy is the commandments of God and the three angels' messages. You and I need to study this. These are given in the last book of the Bible where God reserves the best for last. When he understands, when the person understands these things, something will happen. His former life will appear disgusting and hateful. He will hate sin where before he loved it. And it will break his heart before God. He will embrace Christ as the very life and joy of his soul. And he will renounce his former pleasures because he has a new mind. He has new affections, he has new interests, new, a new will. His sorrows and desires and love, including those passions, will also be new. And you can read that in several passages of the scriptures, starting with Ezekiel. And so the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, which have before, heretofore been preferred before Jesus, are now turned away from. And Christ becomes the charm of his life, the crown of his own rejoicing. And then he will possess the peace that passeth understanding, which the world cannot give, because it doesn't know him and has even rejected him. You know, the door of our hearts, somebody's knocking. Are you listening? That's Jesus still knocking through the Holy Spirit. He is both saying, I'm still knocking on the door. Will you open that door? Because very soon, my work of knocking on the doors of hearts will have also ended. And the Holy Spirit is withdrawn permanently, finally, from his appointed work in the hearts of men in this fallen earth. And Christ himself would have finished his work in heaven as our merciful high priest, advocate, mediator, intercessor, and the righteous judge of all the earth. I will share with you an invitation, same one that we just read. We want to walk in harmony with Christ so that we can walk together. 
we begin this walk here and we'll continue walking throughout the ceaseless ages of eternity. How do you like that? Let's bow our heads in prayer. God in heaven, we thank you that you're still working on our hearts. And if we remember that if we are willing to be made willing, God will accomplish the work in us and through us so that even the willing and the doing will be God working in us through us. And at the end, there'll only be rejoicing, not weeping and gnashing of teeth, but rejoicing, singing without end, praising the Lamb because of the salvation He brought to us. He breeds the chasm, and He is the bridge in fact. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is the very presence of Christ in our lives today. We pray that we shall be with Him till the end of the world and the new world begins. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.